pointing us today. So I have a four-year-old son. Uh, his name is Gideon. I don't know if you've ever met him before. He's a little blonde-haired, blue-eyed boy. He's awesome, hilarious, never met a stranger in his life. I love my son. And I remember when he was about eight months old, uh, he started doing something that as parents, you want to see your kid begin to do. He started to climb up on the edge of our coffee table or the edge of the couch, and he would stand there and he would hold on, and then he would shuffle around and go to all the different stuff that he wanted to get to. So he was shuffling. And if you know anything about child development, you know that that means that he's pretty much on his way, he's pretty close to being able to walk. Well, me, at seven months old, I was walking. I was walking at seven months old. I'm also a really competitive guy, so I wanted my son to be walking before any of the other little babies that were his age. I wanted him to be, like, the fast, on the fastest track. So I remember uh, it was, you know, he started standing up. He would start shuffling. We were like, it's about time for him to walk. So we called our parents. We were like, hey, how do we help him figure out how to walk? We Googled it and tried to figure out what we're going to do to get him to walk. And what they said was that if you put something in front of him that he wants, then he'll walk to it. So we were like, okay, great. We can do that. What does he want more than mom or dad? So I remember the next time that he stood up on the couch, Amanda, she went over and she kind of crouched down in front of him. And she was like, come here, buddy. Come to mama. Come to mama. And he was standing there and he turned around and he looked and got excited. And then dropped to the floor and crawled to her. So we were like, ah, oh, dang it. And I was like, you know what? It's because it's mom. He really wants dad. That's what he wants. So same thing happened. He stood up on the, the coffee table. And I got down. And I was like, come on, buddy. Come to daddy. Come to dada. Come on, man. Big man. Let's go. And then he stood up and he looked at me. And he fell back to the floor. And he crawled over to me. So I was like, oh, man. He didn't want mom. Didn't want dad. We tried this for so long. So then we were like, maybe it's not mom and dad. Maybe it's one of his toys. Right? Or he has his passy. He loved his passy. He called it his blah, blah. Right? So the next time he got up and same thing, we got down. Hey, buddy, here's your passy. Come get it. Come get it. And he fell down. He crawled right to us again. Now, parents, you guys know in the room that you can spend so much money on your kids buying them toys or all kinds of stuff, and they don't want to play with that. They want to play with, like, the box. Right? That's what they want to play with. Parents know that in the room. Well, for Gideon, his thing was he loved this two-gallon water jug of Texas spring water. It had been emptied out, and he took it one time, and he was holding it, and he knocked himself on the head, and it went doom, like water jugs do. So from that moment on, like, that was his favorite toy. Not all the toys we spent money on, the water jug that costed, like, a dollar. So that's what he loved. Well, I remember one time me and Amanda were sitting on our couch, and as we were sitting there, we're watching him, and he does this thing where he gets up on the edge of the couch or on the edge of the coffee table, and we're looking at him, we're watching, and he turns around, and in the middle of the room is the water jug. So he's standing there, and he, I remember he took one hand off, and he turned around, and he looked for it, and he couldn't get to it. So then he took his other hand off, and he turned around, and he walked over to the water jug. So me and Amanda, we're like, let's go. Like, this is awesome. Our son, he's walking. It was this big monumental moment. And then we stopped and we were like, wait a second. He wanted the water jug, but he didn't want us. Like, are we second in place to this water jug right now? But it was an incredible moment, this monumental moment, this breakthrough moment for him. We know as parents in the room, or if you have grandkids or anything, you love to watch your kids or your grandkids have these big monumental moments, have these big breakthroughs in their life. If you have friends in the room and your friends have this massive breakthrough in their life, you love watching your friends win and have breakthrough. Guys, we're never too old to have breakthrough in our life. And I believe if we're honest in the room, every single person in here needs breakthrough. We all need breakthrough of some sort in our life. 
Maybe for you, maybe it's a financial breakthrough. Or maybe it's a, a medical breakthrough. You've got something going on, some sort of diagnosis. Maybe for you, it's a parenting breakthrough. Hey, I'm having trouble connecting with my kid or I need them to do something they're not doing and you're having, a, a, you, you need a breakthrough there. Maybe for you, it's your marriage. And your marriage needs a breakthrough. Me and my spouse aren't connecting the way that we should be. We need some sort of breakthrough in our marriage. Maybe it's a spiritual breakthrough. God, I need a breakthrough with you. Maybe it's school or, or, or your career that you need a breakthrough in. Or maybe you say to yourself, you know what, well, my life right now, it's actually pretty good. There's not a whole lot of bad things going on. So really, like, I don't, I don't need a breakthrough. Breakthrough, that's for somebody else that's got, like, bad stuff going on. I don't need a breakthrough. Let me challenge you really quick on that. Because I believe the moment that you stop needing a breakthrough from God is the moment that you start relying on yourself and you stop relying on him. Guys, we all need breakthrough in our life. In some shape or form, we need a breakthrough. Maybe you don't have something crazy going on in your life, but you still need a breakthrough. Maybe you need God to give you a breakthrough in reaching more people for him. Maybe you need God to give you a breakthrough in helping you just have a closer relationship with him. Maybe you help run some sort of ministry or some organization and you need God to help you have a breakthrough in that. We all need some sort of breakthrough in our lives. We're in a series right now called Conversations with Jesus. And we've got to hear some incredible messages from Pastor Bill and from Pastor Mason. But if I was to have a conversation with Jesus, one of the things that I would ask him would be, Jesus, can you give me a breakthrough? Can you give me a breakthrough. What I want to do is I want to go look at God's word and see what it is that he says about having breakthrough in our lives. So what we're going to do is we're going to open up to Mark chapter 5, and we're going to read a story of breakthrough from there. But let me set it up for us first. So what's happened is Jesus has begun his earthly ministry. And he's going around, and he's teaching, and he's preaching, and doing all this stuff. But he's not just teaching like any other rabbi would. He's actually speaking with a certain level of authority that nobody else has because he's the son of God. So he's going around and he's challenging the, the religious uh, presuppositions of the time. He's challenging the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious rules and the legalism that they've put in place. And he's having all these conversations and teaching all these messages where people are starting to hear about this guy, this Jesus guy, and they're starting to really know who he is. People are hearing about Jesus. And on top of that, he's not just teaching and preaching, he's also performing miracles. He turned water into wine. He's going around and he's healing people. The blind can see, the deaf can hear. So he's going around, he's doing, performing all these different miracles and he's really becoming known around the region. He's really becoming known around the area. And what ends up happening is he ends up teaching all these messages with parables, and there's this really famous one that he teaches that's about the sower and the seed, and he teaches it from the edge of a lake. And he gets into a boat, and he teaches all these people, and then after that, it says that he sails across to the other side of the lake, and that's where we pick up our story. So it says this in Mark 5, 21 through 34. It says, Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him, my little daughter is dying, he said. Please come, lay your hands on her, heal her so she can 
live. Jesus went with him, and all the people followed, crowding around him. A woman in the crowd who had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them. But she had gotten worse, no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him and through the crowd and touched his robe, for she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately, the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Let's pray real quick. Father God, we thank you for today. Lord, we thank you for everything it is that you're doing for us. God, I pray right now as we go into your word, Lord, that you would give us new wisdom, that you would teach us something. God, that we would learn more about you. And God, that you would teach us about what breakthrough can look like in our life. Jesus, we just want more of you today. Lord, we love you and we praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So Jesus is approached by this man named Jairus. Now we know two things about Jairus for sure. Number one, we know that his daughter is sick. And not just that she's sick, but she's dying. She's literally on her deathbed. And then the second thing that we know about him is that the Bible tells us that he is a religious leader in the synagogue. And because we know that, we can make some assumptions about him. What we can assume is that because he is this leader in the synagogue, he has some sort of influence in the community. We can assume that he's got some sort of social standing in the community. We can also assume that he's got some sort of power. When he asks somebody to do something or tells somebody to do something, they do it because he's this leader in the synagogue. And because of his position, we can also assume that he's probably not poor. He probably has some sort of wealth. He comes from some sort of means. And if we know all these different things about him, we can also assume that Jairus, because his daughter is dying, has taken her probably to doctors. He's probably taken her to healers. He's probably taken her to rabbis to be prayed over. Because who wouldn't do that? If you had the means to help your child get healthy, every single one of us would do that for our kid. We would stop to no end to go and try to help our child be healthy. So we can make these assumptions about him, but what happens is that none of this stuff works. His daughter is still sick. So then he sees Jesus coming. He knew he had heard about Jesus before. So he goes to Jesus and he talks to Jesus. He says, I need you to heal my daughter. So Jesus says, okay, I'm gonna do it. And we start this great story, and it seems like there's going to be this incredible moment where Jesus goes with Jairus, this religious leader. He's going to do it again. Jesus is about to do it again. He's about to heal somebody else. This little girl was dying. Now she's going to be healthy. Jesus is going to do it again. But something happens. Our story gets interrupted. You see, this woman hops into the story now, and she is also in need of healing. She's been sick for 12 years, and we don't know a ton about this woman, but we do know that she is sick, and we know that the Bible tells us that she believed that if she could touch Jesus' robe, that she could be healed. 
Other translations would say that she touched the hem of his robe. My question is this, how did Jairus approach Jesus? He could have walked up and he could have said, Jesus, I have this social standing. I've got this religious standing. I've got this power. People, listen what I say, I'm influential. Jesus, I demand that you come to my daughter and I demand that you come here and you put your hands on her and you heal her. He could have said that, or maybe he could have said, Jesus, I have this money. I'm willing to pay you if you'll come and you'll heal my daughter. But he doesn't do that. The Bible says that when Jairus comes to Jesus, it says that he bows before him and he pleads fervently with him and he says, will you come and heal my daughter? How does the woman approach Jesus? Well, there's this massive crowd around him The book of Luke actually tells us the crowd was so large it was beginning to crush Jesus and the disciples. So there's this massive crowd around him. The Bible says in some translations that she touched the hem of his garment, which would have meant the end of his sleeve or the end of his robe. So as she's fighting through this crowd, every illustration that I've seen and what we can infer here is that she has to fight low through the ground to get to Jesus. And when she finally touches him, where is she at? She's at Jesus' feet. Church, here's what I want you guys to understand. Here's what I want us to know today and to learn today. Breakthrough begins at the feet of Jesus. Breakthrough begins at the feet of Jesus. They could have come proudly and they could have said, I have this standing, I've got this influence, I've got this power, I've got this money, I demand, I want you to, you're gonna come and do this for me, but they don't. Instead, they come to the feet of Jesus humbly. In the book of Matthew 23, 12 says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Guys, breakthrough begins at the feet of Jesus. Now, I know that sounds really good. It sounds really spiritual. It looks good when it pops up on the screen. You might've written it in your notes and you go post it on Instagram later because it looks really good, right? But what does that actually mean? What does it actually mean that breakthrough begins at the feet of Jesus. Well, I believe that uh, when you go and you back and you look at this, that to go and bow down to somebody in this context and in this culture, to bow down before them was not, it was significant. It was a posture of surrender. So what they were literally doing when coming and Jairus was bowing down before him, he was surrendering over to him. I think the concept of breakthrough is sometimes something that we throw around in church and kind of throw it around kind of nonchalant. Oh, I need a breakthrough. I need a breakthrough. I need a breakthrough. And that's great that we understand that we need a breakthrough from God, but how do you get a breakthrough from God? Well, you come to his feet humbly, and then you surrender over to him. I believe that God wants us all to experience breakthrough. First of all, he wants us to experience the breakthrough of breaking free from the shackles of sin on our life by giving our life to him and having a saving faith in him. But then subsequently after that, he wants us to experience breakthrough in all the different areas of our life by surrendering our own desires and instead following the guidelines and the principles and the godly wisdom that he's given to us in his word. Guys, if you want to break through in a specific area of your, of your life, are you following what God's word says? This is the way that we get a breakthrough in our lives. Do you need, do you need a breakthrough in your marriage? Okay, have you, when's the last time you sought Christian counseling? Or how about this? Husbands, when's the last time that you loved your wife like, loved, like Christ loved the church? Do you need a breakthrough? Are you doing what God's word says? Parents, do you need a breakthrough with your kids? 
When's the last time that you went to God's word and figured out what does it really say about how a Christian should parent? When's the last time that you picked up a Christian parenting book and read it? Maybe you need a breakthrough in your finances. Okay, are you living out godly financial principles? Are you being a good steward of your money? Are you giving generously that God has called us to do? Maybe, maybe you need a breakthrough in your work, in your career, right? Here's, here's a big one for me. Maybe you go to work and you say, I want a breakthrough at work. I want that promotion. I want that pay raise. I want my boss to trust me. But every time you walk into the building, are you grumbling and complaining? The Bible says to do everything without grumbling or complaining. So if you want to experience a breakthrough in your life, you want to experience a breakthrough in your career, but every time you go to work, you're complaining about the very job that God allowed you to have to provide for your family. Guys, if we want a breakthrough, we have to follow what God's word says. Do you need a breakthrough spiritually? Are you attending church weekly? Are you praying daily? Are you in God's word daily? Are you in a life group? Have you surrounded yourself with godly community to help uplift you? Do you need a breakthrough for a family member? How about this? Are you loving them like Christ loved the church? That's what we're called to do as followers of Jesus. Love people as Christ loved the church. Guys, breakthrough begins at the feet of Jesus. Are you willing to surrender these areas of your life and live according to biblical wisdom? The Bible says it like this in Luke 9, 23. It says, then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily and follow me. What does that mean to take up your cross daily? It means to die to yourself. I have to die to myself every single day and choose to walk and follow Jesus. And when I begin to do that, that's when I can start to experience breakthrough in my life. But here's what happens for so many of us. For so many of us, we're just like Jairus or we're just like the woman. We come to the feet of Jesus and we surrender over and we give him something in our life. And we say, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do what you've commanded me to do so that I can get my breakthrough. And we do all these things. But what ends up happening is the breakthrough either, either doesn't come in the time frame that you wanted it to, or maybe it doesn't look like exactly what you thought it was going to look like. And we get a little bit confused and we say, Jesus, I, I trusted you. Jesus, I thought that you were going to do this for me. So whether it's intentional or unintentional, what ends up happening is we fall off. And what happens is that we trusted Jesus. We thought that he was going to give us this breakthrough, and it doesn't look like we thought it was going to, and we fall off. Jairus could have done that. Because what ends up happening in this story is Jairus goes to Jesus. He asks him if he'll heal his daughter. Jesus says yes. He starts to follow him. And then our story gets interrupted. Jesus heals this woman, has this conversation with her. And in the middle of him having this conversation with this woman, one of the servants from Jairus' house comes to him and says, hey, there's no need to bother the teacher anymore. There's no need to bother Jesus because your daughter's dead. And in that moment, Jairus could have sat there and he could have said, Jesus, I trusted you. I surrendered. You said that you would come heal my daughter, but now she's dead. And he could have said, man, I don't trust you anymore. And he could have turned away from Jesus. Maybe for you right now, you kind of feel like that. Jesus, I've trusted you. I've surrendered over to you. You said you were going to help. You said you were going to give me this incredible life. But for some reason, things aren't working out the way that I think they should be working out. 
and you feel like maybe your situation is a little bit broken. Maybe your situation is a little bit dead. But look at what happens in Mark 5, 36. It says, but Jesus overheard them and he said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. Don't be afraid, just have faith. Jairus could have turned away from Jesus and he could have said, I'm not gonna follow you anymore. But instead he does follow Jesus and what ends up happening is they go to his house and his daughter was dead, but Jesus raises her from the dead. Here's what I want us to understand today, that your breakthrough might be coming, don't stop short. You might feel like your situation is broken. You might feel like your situation is dead. You might feel like there's no hope, but I serve a God who's made a habit of breaking through the chains of death. He did it with Jairus' daughter. He did it with Lazarus. He did it with himself when he died and he went into the grave and rose again. Death cannot stop or defeat Jesus. It cannot stop or defeat our God. It doesn't matter how broken you feel like your situation is. It doesn't matter how much you think your situation is dead. Jesus defeats death. His family, Jairus' family, found freedom because of his faithfulness. So yes, breakthrough begins at the feet of Jesus, but freedom is found in faithfulness. Freedom is found in faithfulness. I believe that it's so important. I bring this up here every time that I preach, um, not just because it's the Bible and if I'm going to do battle with the enemy, better have my sword, right? Not only because of that, but also because this Bible to me is special, This Bible was given to me by my dad the day that I got married. And he gave it to me, and we sat down and had a long conversation about what it means to be a man and and all this stuff. And he wrote a letter to me in the front of it. And I would read it right now, but I'd probably cry because I'm a sissy. Um, But I'm not going to read it. But there are four men in my life that I can point to that really shaped who I am as a man and as a follower of Jesus. My dad probably accounts for about 90% of that. When I was... uh, in 2016, I was an intern um, at the church that I grew up in. And I went to camp, just like you do when you're a summer intern. And I had my middle school guys that I knew really well, and we had a great time at camp. It was awesome. But then they left, and I had a group of high school guys that came in. And I thought we were going to connect really well because they were athletes, and I played basketball in high school. So I was like, oh, this is right in my wheelhouse. Like, we're definitely going to connect. This is going to be easy. But These guys had never really been to our church before. Uh, They only came because there was a girl that invited them and they thought her and her friends were cute. So they came, so they were trying to get their Mac on. So they came to camp and I was trying to connect with them, but they didn't want anything to do with me. They didn't really want to hang out with me. And during service, they didn't really want to pay attention. They just wanted to sit in the back. During our group times, they didn't really want to open up and talk or anything like that, which for me was frustrating because I feel like I've always been somebody that like, hey, you give me anybody, I can talk to them. We can hang out, it'll be fun but they didn't want anything really to do with me. So I remember, you know, these guys that I was like, man, I just really wish that these guys would, would get saved or would open up or something would happen. I was getting frustrated. We were getting more towards the end of camp and nothing had happened yet. Well, one night before night service, me and my co-leader just sat down with some of the guys and we were just sitting there and we were talking and we were just chopping it up, talking about sports and football and basketball and all this stuff. And then for some reason, I just decided, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna share with them a part of my story. And I started to talk with them. I started to talk about me and my dad and our relationship and how my dad was there. He was a leader at camp because he always was because he cared that much about my walk with Jesus that he wanted to come and pour in. So he was always there and we would hang out and, you know, it was awesome. And then they, one of the guys opened up and he told me, he was like, I don't have that with my dad. And he talked to me about how, you know, I really honestly feel like I'm kind of a screw up. Because my dad does all these awesome things and makes all this money, and I don't feel like I'm living up to the standard of what my family is. 
He talked about how he felt like, uh, you know, he, he wasn't good enough to be their kid, how they didn't really love him, and not because of anything they did, but because of what he did. He didn't feel good enough to be loved. And he said that, and the next guy next to him opened up, and he started to say a very similar thing. And then what happened is the next guy opened up and these, all these guys started to open up and talk about this and talk about how they didn't feel like they were good enough. They didn't feel like they were worthy. They didn't feel like their parents could forgive them if they told them everything they had done or that they were deserving of their parents' love. They said all this different stuff. And in that moment, I had the opportunity to sit there with them and share the gospel with them about how God loves you and he cares about you and he wants a relationship with you. And then they told me, they were like, that, that can't be true. Not me. There's no way. I've done so many things wrong. Man, I've made so many bad decisions. I've completely rejected everything that my parents have taught me. I've gone out and I've made mistakes. And I've done all this. There's, there's no way that this God could care about me and love me. So I opened up with them a little bit more about my story, and we ended up just talking through all the stuff that I had done in my life and things that I had gotten wrong and mistakes that I had made. What ended up happening was at the end of that conversation, five of those boys gave their life to Jesus, which was awesome. But then after that, I remember we left and we had to go to our volunteer meeting and my boys, they made like a complete 180 after that. They were like praising Jesus in the front and you know, getting in the Christian mosh pit or whatever. It was awesome. <laughs> but I went to that meeting afterwards and I remember when I was there, I, you know, I shared a little bit with the, with the whole group that these guys had given their life to Christ and I walked out afterwards and I saw my dad was there. And I remember walking up to him and I was just sharing with him a little bit about what happened and I was breaking down in tears because I was so overwhelmed by what had happened in these guys' lives. And I remember he broke down in tears because he was overwhelmed as well. And I gave him a hug. And I remember we were both wearing our backpacks. I remember I gave him a hug and I told him, I said, Dad, I couldn't have done this if it wasn't for you. Now, why do I tell you guys that story? Because my dad, a lot like Jairus, didn't have a perfect situation. He grew up in a household that was extremely far from God. There was a lot of terrible things that happened in his household growing up. His dad was an alcoholic for a while, maybe a little bit abusive. I remember, you know, growing up and seeing financial stresses that happened to our family, job loss and, and how my dad would be overlooked for promotions. I remember th hearing about all these different things, betrayal from friends that happened to my dad. And the reason I tell you guys this story is because in any of those different moments, my dad could have said, Jesus, I trusted you. Jesus, I gave you everything. I've surrendered to you. I've tried to be the best follower of you that I can be, but nothing seems to be working. And he could have turned away and said, I'm not gonna follow you anymore. But here's what I want you guys to know. Those boys that day at camp found freedom because of one man's faithfulness. It trickled down through me into them. Here's my question to you. Is there something that you surrendered over to Jesus that you need to get back to being faithful in? Is there something that you gave to Jesus that you need to get back to being faithful in? Because freedom is found in faithfulness. Maybe you need to grab a friend today. You need to go talk to them. You need to say, hey, I've been trying to be faithful as a parent. I've been trying to be faithful as a parent. I want to be a better parent. Can you hold me accountable to being the best parent that I can be? Maybe it's, maybe it's in your marriage and you need to, to find somebody else outside of your marriage and say, hey, can you hold me accountable to being the best spouse that I can be? Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's at work. You need to go to somebody and say, hey, I'm trying to be a great employee. Can you hold me accountable to not complaining, to not gossiping here at work? 
Maybe it's spiritually. Maybe you need someone to hold you accountable. Hey, I'm trying to be the best follower of Jesus that I can be. Can you hold me accountable to being at church every week? Can you hold me accountable to reading my Bible every day? Can you hold me accountable to getting into that life group so that I can grow? Guys, we all need people to help us. We actually are pretty weak on our own, but the Bible says that together we are strong. A triple braided cord is not easily broken is what the Bible tells us. Who is in your triple braided cord? Do you have people around you helping you be strong so that you can be faithful? Do you have that? And here's what happens, this is really cool. When somebody comes to you and they ask you for that accountability and you sit there and you're faithful in it and you help them, what ends up happening is now you have become an instrument of breakthrough in their life. You become an instrument of breakthrough in their life. God could snap and get everything done that he wants to get done. He's all powerful. He can do whatever he wants, but instead of doing that, he chooses to use me and you as his instruments of breakthrough here on earth. There's, there's this really cool thing that happens in the story. We talked about Jairus and how Jairus, he, he had you know, his faithfulness and he, found, he came to the feet of Jesus and then his daughter was healed. But there's this really cool thing that happens in the story of this woman that if we just breeze through it, we'll miss. So the Bible says that this woman went to many doctors, but it doesn't just say that she went to many doctors. The language is very specific. It says that she suffered from many doctors. Now, what most theologians believe is that what that means is that these doctors knew there's no way that we can heal this woman, but we're going to try to try to treat her and see her and take her money anyways. And the Bible says that not only did she go to all these people, they took all of her money, everything that she had. She had spent everything at these doctors. And the very people that were supposed to help her ended up becoming the people that hurt her. The very people that were supposed to be there for her, that were supposed to heal her, are the ones that hurt her. And I can only imagine what happens in your mind when that happens to you over and over and over again. I can only imagine that you get jaded, that you get callous, that you want nothing to do with doctors. I want nothing to do with healers. But then something happens in the story. Four words. She heard about Jesus. What does that mean? Well, it means that somebody told her but it means something so much deeper than that. Imagine she's jaded, she's calloused, and somebody comes up to her and just tells her, hey, yeah, Jesus, he's healing people. If I'm her, I'm probably like, yeah, great, another one? No, I'm good. But I can only imagine what they told her about Jesus, about the miracles, about what he had done in so many people's lives, the, the blind being able to see, the deaf being able to hear, how she, they had told her so many different things that she believed, I have to get to Jesus. This is my last chance for healing. This is my last hope. I've got to get to him because he has something that I need. It's kind of, I kind of like think about it like this. Uh, this past summer, me and my wife, Amanda, and our son, Gideon, we started eating dinner on our back porch, right? We have a great back porch. It's got like a ceiling fan and it's covered. I don't know why a ceiling fan makes it great, but I feel like it does. It's got a ceiling fan and it's, got, it's covered. It's awesome. We sit back there at our table and we would eat back there. And what ended up happening was the summer, you know, gets there and all of a sudden the Armageddon of flies shows up here in Texas, like always does. So we would get swarmed with all these flies and we loved sitting back there and eating. So I was like, we gotta do something about this. We gotta take care of these flies somehow. So we went to Home Depot and I was thinking maybe I'll get some sort of like adhesive strip or some spray to kill these flies. And as we're walking down the bug aisle, Gideon, he turns aside and he points, he's like, dad, what's that? And he saw this really cool picture on the box of this bug zapper. So I was like, oh, that's for sure it. So I grabbed it 
and we took it home. And I remember I set it up on the table and I turned it on and waited for it to get dark. And once it got dark, we sat there and we just watched flies get fried. It was great. Bonding moments with my son, you know. But we sat there and we watched these flies just get, just get cooked by this bug zapper. And I remember looking on the box, I was like, why do they get so drawn in? And they said it's because it has this special UV bulb in the middle that shines blue. And I was like, what's the significance of blue? So I started Googling it um, and I looked it up. And what I ended up figuring out is that the flowers and the nectar from the flowers and the sugars from fruit to the fly's eye actually refracts off in blue. So it actually mimics, this mimics the fruit and the flowers, the very things of sustenance that the flies need. So the flies are drawn to the light because they feel like the light has something that they need. Let me read you guys something really quick. It says this in Matthew 5, 14 through 16. It says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine so before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We are the light of the world. The question is... Does the light that you produce make people believe that they need what you have? When you share about Jesus, are you telling people in such a way that they're like, I got to get some of what they got? When you live your life and you walk around in your day-to-day life, do you walk around with the joy of the Lord inside of you so that people see you and they say, whatever he's got, whatever she's got, I need some of that in my life. We are the light of the world. And when you start to act like, like the light of the world, we are God's instrument of breakthrough. We can receive breakthrough, but then we can help others receive breakthrough as well. You're the light of the world. Do you need a breakthrough in your life today? Maybe you do. Maybe you need to surrender something over to Jesus. Maybe you need to get back to being faithful. Maybe you need to be the instrument of breakthrough in somebody else's life. You know, the Bible says there's one beginning and first and ultimate step of breakthrough. And that's the breakthrough that we have when we break free from the bondage of sin in our life. The Bible tells us this in Romans 3, 23. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means we've all sinned. We've all made mistakes. And then in Romans 6, 23, it tells us, it says, for the wages of sin is death. And what that means, that death is twofold. It's first off physical, where every single one of us is going to die someday. But then secondly, that death is spiritual, where because of our sin, we are spiritually dead and separated from God. For the wages of sin is death. The good news is that that verse doesn't end there. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. And what was that gift? That gift was his son, Jesus. See, Jesus came into the world and he lived a perfect life. He never once made a mistake. He never once did anything wrong. So he did not deserve to die. At the end of his life, he chose to die by being hung up on a cross. They put nails in his wrists. They put nails in his feet. They put a crown of thorns on his head and a spear in his side. And the Bible says that while Jesus was hanging on the cross, he was bearing the weight of our sin and our shame on his shoulders. Guys, Jesus died the death that we deserve. And then he was buried in the grave. And for three days, he was there. And at the end of the third day, he rose again, defeating death and defeating sin so that we no longer have to be separated from God, but we can be connected back 
to him. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says this for us. It says, we are saved by grace through faith. It is a free gift, not of works, lest any man should boast. We can't do anything to earn it. We can't do anything to get it. All we can do is accept the free gift. So how do you accept that free gift? Romans 10, 9 would tell us this. It says, for if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Do you need a breakthrough? Maybe you need to take the first step of breakthrough and give your life to Jesus. Everyone bow your head and close your eyes for me real quick. I want to give you that opportunity right now. If you want to give your life to Jesus, we're all just going to pray a prayer here together. And as we're saying this prayer, we're all going to say it together so that nobody says it alone. If you need that first step of breakthrough, if you want to give your life to Jesus, I'm just going to ask you to repeat this with me and mean it with everything that you have. Say this, say, dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I know I've sinned against you. But Jesus, you love me and you died for me. I give you my life and I give you everything. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Right now with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if that was you today, you just gave your life to Jesus, I'm just gonna ask you something real simple for me. Just raise your hand where you're at. We wanna celebrate this with you. We wanna know about this. So awesome. Across all of our campuses, raise your hand right now. If that was you, you just made the decision to give your life to Jesus, just raise your hand. Maybe you're online, you can click hand raise in the chat right now. If you gave your life to Jesus, just raise your hand. So awesome. Well, Father God, we love you. Lord, we thank you for who you are. God, I pray that you would just help us to experience breakthrough by following through in faithfulness with you, but also that you would use, you would use us as instruments of breakthrough. Lord, we love you and we praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.